Good morning, Impact. It's going to feel a little Catholic today, but tough. It's going to be stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. No fighting, but stand up in honor of God's word. As I read our text today, we're in the book of Luke in our RX uh, Prescriptions for Abundant Living series, and we're reading from the second chapter, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went out to be registered, each to his own hometown. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. You can be seated. Father, I pray that you would open not just our ears, Lord. We're not here to learn facts about you, Lord. We're here to embrace uh, your son, Father, to embrace your mission and your vision, Lord, and to be transformed into the image of your son, that we can be a light on a hill for the world to see that directs a path straight to you, Father, for salvation and the gospel message. Change us, Lord. Uh, instill us with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> well, gang, what... It Excuse me, what I just read to you is the single most famous Christmas passage. Uh, since our seasons are getting all mixed up, who knows what time of year it is. We'll treat it like Christmas. That's the one used more than any other passage in any other gospel, is Luke chapter 2, the first seven verses. Uh, if you've gone to Christmas Eve services all your life, chances are 90% of the time that's the text that was used. At the same time, gang, the facts of this test, text in their simplicity, and just sort of the raw facts are nearly always overlooked or rewritten or, or sort of cleaned up or maybe glamorized. Uh, and if you're fortunate enough to ever hear it preached just raw, just as it's supposed to be, then chances are you may not have, have let it sink in. Even if you heard it stripped down. The night of Jesus' birth, it kind of plays a little bit to people today like a, some kind of B-movie that's been in the dollar theater way too long. Those kind, nobody really goes to see it. Or if you do go to see it, you've heard it, a, you've seen it a million times. Kind of goes in one ear, out the other. And it really doesn't register because I promise you, gang, if you really thought about the night that Jesus was born, it's nuts. The way that the Son of God, the King of Kings came into this world is just nuts. It's completely upside down in how any of us in the history of the world would have thought, even reading the predictions of the Messiah in the Old Testament, would have ever thought it should have been. Why? I'm going to tell you why today. It's because one word is attached to this passage and several others like it, and it sort of throws us off. And in fact, the way that it's been interpreted, and I think kind of presented for the last 2,000 years, is off because of this one word. What's that word? Glad you asked. Write it down, note takers. Bless it. That's the word. When we see the word blessed, it throws us off. And that's kind of strange, isn't it? Mary was called blessed, the blessed virgin, the blessed mother Mary. She receives the moniker blessed that always goes before her name or just right after her name, and everything goes south. Everything goes south for the blessed Mary. You would think because she's blessed, because she's highly favored of God, you would think everything would go north, right? Everything would be looking up. Everything would be great, hunky-dory for her, but it goes south. Now, what some of you are thinking, you're like, uh, I, you just read that passage out loud, Pastor. I didn't, I didn't hear the word blessed. 
I got my Bible open. I don't see the word blessed in there. I don't see highly favored in there. So are you adding to the text there or something? No, I'm not adding, and that's a good call. It doesn't need to be in that text because we've been bombarded with it every week leading up to this text. This is our fourth week in our RX series. So let me just kind of get you up to speed here a little bit. In your Bibles, and hopefully you have them open or you have a button pressed to your Bible or your iPad is up and you're not playing. What is that little thing where you build cities out of Legos? Mine what? Minecraft. How come, you know, I'm assuming son, your, your, son your son plays that. Minecraft. Yeah, I heard a lot more adults play that than kids. <coughs> I'm not going to ask you what you built. So, assuming you're not playing Minecraft and you're actually following on the Word, you look back to chapter 1, verses 20, beginning with verse 26 and, and the next couple of verses. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and here it is and he came to her and said greetings O favored one all right I'll give you that Pastor Rob so she was called favored once no not once right after that it says the Lord is with you okay so she's favored God got it straight from the mouth of the most famous angel in all the Bible but then you skip ahead two verses and he's still talking Gabriel's more talkative than Michael, the other arch, archangel that's, that's famous, archangel. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There it is twice. In those days Mary arose and went out and hastened to the hill country in town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So now highly favored, favored, blessed twice. Then skip down to verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken from the Lord. That's Mary. Somebody got about five or six times now where she's either called favored, highly favored, or blessed. Later on in this same book in chapter, uh, I believe it's Luke 11, uh, 27. There's a woman, when Jesus heals somebody, there's a woman that cries out and says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Okay, so I don't really have to build much more of a case. You get it, right? That's why she's called the Blessed Mary. That's why she's highly favored. That's pretty obvious in God's word. But again, now get this, especially Christians, they wouldn't argue this. I've never met a born-again person that would say, I don't think Mary was blessed. I think she was cursed. I don't see that. Nobody, I mean, everybody gets this. Some would even attempt, because these words are attached to Mary, uh, some would even attempt to elevate her too high, right? Some would say, well, maybe she's co-deity. The Catholic Church seems to struggle with this, get a little schizophrenic about this. Maybe we should pray to Mary, although there's nothing in the Bible that says Mary was sinless. She was respectable, she was upright, but she was not blameless. She was not sinless. She sinned like anybody else, but she was highly favored and highly blessed. Sometimes we attach those words and we think, well, blessed to me looks like this, therefore, let's elevate Mary because it's said about her so much. No, that's not the most common error. The most common error done with Mary is far more deadly, I think. And most of us, if we, if we don't do it a lot, we've probably done it at one point or another. So, it's a modern twist. Maybe this will help you get it. To a story that is ancient. And I want to retell it in a more modern, relevant way. And I'm going to be able to do it 
because my son was out walking. See, we, we live on 11 acres. We live in this area where there's a marsh and a swamp, and he loves to explore, right, Nathan? So he was out around Willoughby Woods, and he was exploring in the caves of Willoughby, and he found the live marsh scrolls of Willoughby. Not l- unlike the Dead Sea Scrolls, these are the live marsh scrolls, and though they're delicate, I have them here. So if you'll bear with me, I mean, obviously they're ancient because they have tape on them, and, and obviously they're ancient because, you know, they got the burn marks and everything, and of course that happened naturally, I'm sure. So listen as I read from the discovered Willoughby ancient scrolls. And this might help you kind of see why we get a little bit mixed up. You guys with me? Yeah, I'm convinced. All right. You see, the archangel Gabriel first came to Zechariah to announce the miraculous birth of John the Baptist because Zechariah never missed a Sunday school service, even once in three years, and had the blue ribbon of perfect attendance attached to his lapel. And because his wife Elizabeth was the reigning Proverbs 31 woman of the year for 4 BC, so Gabriel assembled one-third of the heavenly host and they hovered above the temple for three days and three nights, repeating over and over again, Zach the righteous, Zach the righteous, he has found favor with God because he is so good and so religious. That's how it really went down, so I hope you're listening. Then he declared, because you have been flawlessly religious, you shall be exalted to the throne of Rome and Caesar the august one. He will be made court jester instead. By the time this miracle child is born, all the known world will hear of it and millions will gather in Rome to pay homage, yada, yada, yada. You get the idea, right? That's not all of the scroll, though. There's more. Why do I say that Mary is exalted? Why do I say that we get this wrong? Well, right before Mary, there's another miraculous birth. We talked about it last week. What was it? John the Baptist, just like Abraham and Sarah, given to a couple that was way too old to have kids. It was a miracle. There's no way they could. They were ancient. In fact, when we translated that, some of your Bibles say they were as good as dead, which is kind of mean, but they were too old to have kids. And yet, he was great, and I think he was super great because of what Jesus says about him in Matthew 11, 11. Kind of write that down. You can check it out later. Here's what it says. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus talking about John the Baptist, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Think about that. Let me say it again. Among those born of women, raise your hand if you're here, but you were not born of a woman. Oh, so this means everyone. So among everyone ever born, there has arisen no one ever greater than John the Baptist. Let's say this another way. Meaning John the Baptist, up to that point, he's the greatest ever. That's pretty blessed. That's a pretty cool moniker. It's a pretty cool thing to be said about you. Talk about favored. How'd you like God to say that about you? He must have had it all. So let's continue on the live marsh scrolls from Willoughby Woods. All right. Next, Gabe, Gabriel, Gabe for short, goes to Mary with an even greater blessing, to bear the Son of God. To make this announcement, Gabe pulled up in a stretch chariot with a full complement bar and a six-person jacuzzi. And the escorting security detail of vehicles would have made President Obama's, you know, little escort that he usually has, look like a spring break trip to Myrtle Beach. So it's huge. And the security detail, Gabriel and Michael. Michael's the only other archangel mentioned in the Bible. And this would be the only time the two of them are together on a detail. Mary and Joseph will never want for anything 
Ever again, for the rest of their lives, the Lord decrees. They are to be made the wealthiest couple in the history of the world in order to properly raise the Savior of all mankind. Jesus will then go to the finest private schools and have a constant bodyguard of heavenly Delta Force angels so that he never so much as stubs his toe. The wedding then of Joseph and Mary will be, is to be held ASAP in order to avoid any embarrassment with Mary showing. And is to take place at the Taj Mahal, the building schedule which will have to be bumped up to immediately rather than 1653 A.D. When it comes time for the birth of Jesus, an entire wing of the palace will be converted to pediatrics and the finest doctors from the four corners of the globe will be brought in to meet Jesus' every need. By the time he is four, sorry, this thing is ancient, don't want it to fall apart. By the time he is four, he'll be flown to England and enrolled in Oxford Preschool for the development and advancement of divine prodigies. From there, he is to move through to the best Ivy League high schools and finally Oxford itself, where he will be tutored in order to assure that he graduates valedictorian. Wouldn't look good if the Son of God did anything less. After this, he will serve in a safe but very visible role in various Roman military campaigns until the entire world is made subject to Rome, at which time the Constitution will be amended to Christian rather than pagan, and he will forever rule over the entire earth forever and ever. Amen. Do I need to go on? Thank goodness we discovered this because it kind of puts Christmas in perspective. It's a little bit more palatable. It's a little bit more understandable. It's a little bit more easy to receive because when we see that the Son of God, the King of Kings, comes to earth and we read the story about barns and stables and animals and putting a baby in a feeding trough, which is anything, was no, no amount of antibacterial soap would take care of that. It's just not sterile. It's not clean. Certainly not lofty. It doesn't make sense, right? And it doesn't look, I mean, is it fair to say it doesn't look blessed. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't look highly favored. If you didn't know the story and somebody said, you go ahead and write it. How's the Son of God to come to earth? You write it, we'll do it your way. Would you write it like that? Just knowing from your own definition of what blessed means, would you write it like that? I doubt it. I doubt anybody would because blessed to us, I'm finding out doesn't mean the same thing that it does to God. I really found that out this week. So the whole thing I read, I mean, obviously that's ludicrous. For any of you who are struggling with it, it's not real. The Bible says Mary was blessed, though, and highly favored and all of that. So we have to make it palatable. In fact, I believe that when God, because the angels aren't all-knowing, not even Gabriel, not even the Michael, not even the greatest angels that ever were. They're not all-knowing. They're just created beings. They're angels. And I imagine that even when God unfolded the plan to them, that they were shocked. Can you imagine what the plan must have sounded like to the angels? I have that here as well. So let's go through it. At the zenith of earth's history and future until the second coming of Jesus Christ, God's plan progresses like this. God gathers the heavenly host and he says, it's time, Gabriel, beam down to Zechariah. And Gabriel says, Zechariah, the grouchy old priest? Yes, one half of the star power of the famous movie, Grumpy Old Man, that Zechariah. I want you to go to him, the one that's mad at me because his wife is childless. I want you to go and bless him. Gabriel says, shouldn't we kill him? Yeah, we should probably do that too, but instead, I thought it'd be more fun to do the opposite of what everybody expects. I want you to go tell him that he gets the forerunner. What, you're going to give him a brand new Toyota? No, not that kind of forerunner. The forerunner who will be called John the Baptist. 
but it might as well be an SUV because he's not going to believe you, Gabriel, because his wife is positively ancient. I want you to tell him anyway. So Gabriel shows up to Zachariah and says, good news, you get the forerunner, call his name John, and we know the story. Zachariah isn't very grateful, right? We went over this last week. He's not excited about the news, he's petrified, and he doesn't believe it. And nobody really, and he's certainly not thankful, right? That's not the way he responded. Thank you so much for answering my prayer. I've been praying this for 20 years. Thank you. He wasn't thankful at all. Nobody likes an ungrateful person. So Gabriel makes note of his unthankful attitude and beams back up to heaven. And God says, how did it go? Gabriel goes, it went bad. I told him he doubted, so I punched him in the throat. I don't think you can be able to talk for, say, nine months, give or take. God goes, excellent, right into my plan. All right, now go tell Mary. Mary who? There's like 211 Marys that you made responsible for down there on earth. Which one? Uh, Mary, the 14-year-old peasant girl from Nazareth. Go tell her that's where we're putting my son. Gabe. The peasant girl? The Nazareth peasant girl? Little Laura Ingalls from Nazareth? Now listen, I need you all to get what Nazareth is. I need you to get what they would have thought Nazareth is. Um, Nazareth is Marshville. I don't know how else to explain it other than that. And I know I'm going to get a nasty email or two about the beautiful spring blossoms that don't exist and how they're really lakes, but they're marshes and all that. It doesn't really matter. I'm sticking with Marshville. That's it. Nazareth is Marshville. So back to the story. So the angels are like, seriously, you're going to send the Messiah to Marshville? Really? Do we get a vote? No. No on the vote. Yes on Marshville. So Gabriel takes off again and shows up for Mary. I bring you glad tidings, and there we go. And then he moves to Bethlehem, and basically they give birth to the Son of God in an alley behind the Marriott in just some kind of recycling bin. That's kind of a modern version of how this went down. Totally upside down. Kind of a bizarre story, right? Kind of funny, not ha-ha, but funny peculiar. But I promise you, while the world looks at that and laughs and just goes, that's nuts, there's one person that wasn't laughing, and we saw this last week. That's Mary. Unless she was laughing for joy. In fact, we saw last week that she was singing and rejoicing with this news and considered herself very highly favored and blessed. Again, none of it fits any sane person's definition of blessed. It's just completely upside down but it fits Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I think we need to understand that there's a difference between God's definition of blessing and our definition of blessed. And I want you to get this down. So if you're note takers, write it down. If you're iPad takers, type it down. Blessed, here's the new definition that we are seeing a lot today. Blessed means equals charmed life, where one has few, if any, trials, right? Sorrow or pain. There's an absence of sickness, nearly perfect health, as well as huge popularity and genuine favor among all the people. Also, massive wealth and also extremely high self-esteem. Try to throw in everything that most people today would say, yeah, I'd like that. That's a blessed life. That's a highly favored life. If I had that, I'd say God looked kindly upon me, right? Are you with me? That's a blessed life. Some of you go, that's not a blessed life, then you can have the other one. You can have the opposite of that. But most people would say that's blessed. Now, let me give you the biblical definition. Sounds a little different. And I really looked into this. I studied this hard this week. Best I can tell, 
the biblical definition, it's going to be a little bit longer, so you don't want to write this down, but just listen. To be blessed is to be given a portal to true happiness and lasting contentment. A path, a portal, one that you can't walk, one that you can't take unless you're highly favored and blessed to find it and to take it. And God's Holy Spirit points it out. The Hebrew word, and there's lots of them, is Barak. It's first used in Genesis 1, Now, please get this. When God blessed all the creatures of the sea, telling them to be fruitful and multiply the earth. Okay, so he blessed all the creatures of the seas, the whales, the fish, the sharks, everything. Be fruitful and multiply. What was the blessing? The ability to be fruitful and multiply. In fact, in verse 28 of the same chapter, he says the same thing with Adam and Eve. You are blessed, now be fruitful and multiply. So what's one way he blessed them? The ability to be fruitful and multiply. Do I have to spell this out for you? Because there's kids here. Don't make me do this. Another Hebrew word for blessing is eser, which is translated happiness. Now, we like that one. So we go with that mostly. But it was used in Job, for example, Job 5.17. And you may not like this. When God said to Job, blessed is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise God's discipline. Are you into it? Blessed, highly favored is the one that God punishes and slaps around. Do you want that kind of blessing? In the New Testament, there are two Greek words for blessing. Makarios, which equals happiness, and eulogalio. Say that three times fast. Which focuses more on the good report of others. That means highly people speak favorably of you. So there's really not a lot. There's four different words, but they kind of all fall into just two categories. But here's what's glaringly absent. Why, pastor? No health? No wealth? No, no, no obscene prosperity? What about worldwide fame, at least? Where's all that in blessing? Well, gang, it's not there. But I've heard preachers, you know, on TV and, and preachers I go to say that that's, that's 99% of the time. That's how God shows his blessing and favor. Yeah, but not in here. Oh, but pastor, you've even pointed out there's wealthy people and healthy people and, and kings and everything in the Bible. Yeah, it's a fringe benefit. Sometimes that God throws in there. But there are many, many blessings that God throws in. It's just that we humans like to focus on three and say that's it. Because that's all we want. But you know what that is? That's saying, you the creator God, there's three things you've created I want more than I want you. I want health, wealth, and prosperity. I don't really want you. I want to worship those three things you've created, but not you the creator. Somehow we've elevated those three things and say that's how God blesses and that's the only way he blesses. So then, if that's wrong, Pastor Rob, who can be blessed? This is tough. Well, listen, I'm glad you asked. Now, I don't make you write down things. Where's my leadership team? Are you still in here? They're also the bouncers. Pretty big guys. Except for Pete. I mean, but they're pretty big guys, right? <laughs> but Pete's buff. Works out a lot, okay? Make sure they write this down. All right? Every believer can experience the blessing of God by taking risks, suffering well, and remaining humble. Say it twice. You want to be blessed by God? Raise your hand if you want to be blessed by God. All right, then here it is. I'm telling you, this is so obvious. Every single believer can experience the blessing of God by taking risks, suffering well, and remaining humble. Now, I don't have a lot on this, but let me explain these, unpack these, and then we'll be done today. Number one, blessed are those who will take risks for God. 
What's a risk? Well, a risk is something you do without knowing the outcome, without being guaranteed to succeed, right? Somebody says, you know, you do this, you got a good chance of this happening. Can you guarantee it? No, I can't guarantee it, but if you don't do it, you'll never know. It's a risk, right? Here's the funny thing with God. If God tells you to do something, how much of a risk is it really? Zero. It's not really a risk. But we, because we go by sight and by what we can hear and what we can touch and what we can smell, it seems like a risk. So it requires faith. And that's the other word to help us understand risk. You can replace it interchangeably with faith. So God's word teaches us a little something about stepping out in faith. If we never do, then God will never be pleased with us. That's tough, huh? If you never step out in faith, then God will never be pleased with you. What? How can you say that, Pastor? I don't like that, God. I don't believe that about God. I think God accepts us just the way we are. Well, that's a neat fantasy. But if that was true, then Jesus' son would have never had to come and die. Live a sinless life and die in our place for our sins. If he accepts us the way that we are, then that's saying that we're not sinners. We don't need salvation. So he can't accept us just the way we are. He had to provide a way to clean us up and make us acceptable. In the immortal words of the great theologian George Michaels, you've got to have faith. You gotta have faith. Faith, the faith, the faith. And the slightly more weighty words of God, write this down, this might be better. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, if you can't start there, you get nowhere. If you can't start there, game over. I mean, how can he bless you if you don't even believe he exists? He can't. It's not automatic. So without faith, you can't get started. So you've got to take risks. Blessed are those who take risks, who step out with having all the answers and trust God. And gang, isn't that the way it's always in Scripture? I mean, let's back up a bit with Mary. Before even discussing how and in what way she was blessed, before we even get to that, you ever wonder why she was chosen in the first place? Honestly, I did. This week, I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, let me check that real quick. Why Mary? Because you've got to admit, most she doesn't have much of a resume. Most theologians and, and historical theologians believe that Mary was, take a guess, how old? Say it out loud. Yeah, well, how'd you nail, what is it, up there? Well, that's pretty good. I already said it. But you guys don't listen. Yeah, she's probably 14, 14 years old. My daughter's 14. Uh-uh. Not going to happen. But it was different back then. She's born to a poor, obscure family in a way out of hick town that nobody ever heard of, Marshville, sorry. She hadn't lived long enough to acquire much of a spiritual resume. No way, you can't do a whole lot by that age. She's not a well-known daughter of some foreign king. She's uneducated. She's not sinless. She's an ordinary teenage girl. So why her? Well, gang, here's what the Bible says. This is all we know. The Bible simply says that she found favor with God. Not earned favor, but found favor. Was it something she did? No, she simply found favor. Was it hiding, Pastor Rob? No, God just gave it to her. Is this an isolated situation that someone this young would find favor with God? No, let's track it a little bit. Hardly. Not a, Samuel. 
When Samuel the prophet was separated to be used of God, you know how old he was? Four. Four. No one's going to beat that, but let's give a few more. David. You know when David was separated out and discovered out in the fields, killing bears and lions? Probably 15 years old. Probably 16 when he killed Goliath. Daniel, 12 or 13 years old when he was taken into captivity. Did you know that? 12 or 13. Got any 12-year-olds in here? Anybody 12? 13? Okay, you're too old. 13, he's probably 12. Imagine that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same age, take it at the same time. Esther, in the beauty contest, teenager. Joseph, in the Old Testament, 16 or 17. In fact, when he was highly favored by his father, too much so, and his brothers were mad at him, probably started about 14, 15, 16 years old. And we know that when they beat him up and threw him in the pit, the Bible tells us he was 17 at that point. 17 years old. I mean, these are the heroes of the Bible. John, the disciple, want to take a guess? The beloved one? 15, most scholars think. Maybe 16. Timothy. The only thing said about Timothy's age over and over again was don't let people look down on you, Timothy, because of your youth. Obviously, he was so young that Paul had to keep saying, don't get hung up on that. I know you're young, but don't let people point that out. He was so young, people were ragging on him about it. All of these were tapped to receive great favor and blessing from God at a very young age, and all of these pleased God very much. Why? Well, one constant threat among them all is that they had great faith in their God. They had great faith in their God. They fully trusted Him. They didn't have all the facts. God didn't say, here's how your life's going to go. I'm going to lay it out. You don't have to worry for a thing. Don't worry about stepping here where it's dangerous. I'll tell you exactly where to step. No, they didn't have all that. They just knew he loved them. That's my creator. And if he says it, I believe it. And they trusted him. And gang, kids are just way less cynical than adults. And the younger you get them, the more their faith is big. We tend to, as a culture and a society, just throw water on that fire until we put it out, Right? So we put, the older I get, the harder I have to fight to keep the passion for God. You know who fires me up in my house? My kids. My kids. They have that fire. And listen, Mary didn't argue with the angel Gabriel. You know who did? The old guy, Zachariah. The one that got punched in the throat for arguing. Mary didn't argue. She trusted God. And what was Mary blessed to do? Here it is, gang. She was more blessed than any woman who's ever walked the face of the earth what was she blessed to do? To bear the Son of God. I, th- I think that's good enough. What do you think? She wasn't blessed to become rich. She wasn't perfectly healthy and immensely prosperous, or she wasn't going to live the rest of her life escaping sorrow and pain of any kind. In fact, her heart was ripped out as she saw Jesus crucified right in front of her. She had tremendous sorrow. Next week, we're going to learn about a prophecy told to her when Jesus was just about a month old by an old man, Simeon, who says, you'll have great blessing, but you'll have great pain, too, in your life. But she's blessed, but she's highly favored. Watch this. Mary was happy and felt favored simply for the honor of bearing the Son of God. And to this day, she is more well-spoken of than any woman in history. Both biblical uses of the word blessing in the Hebrew and the Greek, all of it. Just not 
necessarily the worldly definition. And gang, this is still true today. Let me give you a few examples. I talk a lot about Word of Life. 30 of our kids are going to Word of Life in a couple months. Word of Life sees more than, and it's going to be awesome. Last year, Word of Life worldwide saw more than 170,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Rob, did you add a zero in there? No. Two or three zeros extra? No. 170,000 plus. This year it'll probably be a little more than that. And yet I guarantee you 99.9% of Christians don't know who started Word of Life and probably don't know who the executive director worldwide is today. You don't know. What else? Well, we've had some students and some people coming in here from YWAM. That's a great ministry. They send people all over the world to some of the most pagan, lost, dangerous countries in the world. Bet you don't know who the current leader of YWAM is. Bet most of you don't even know who started it. Young Life. Did you know Young Life? I was an area director for Young Life in Dallas, Texas. It's a huge organization. It reaches more unchurched youth than the church does in America. Do you know who started it? Probably not. Who's the current president? I have no idea. Well, then they must not be highly favored or blessed by the world's definition, any of these people, because nobody knows about them. Isn't popularity part of it? No, it's part of the world's definition, but not God's. Or the Salvation Army. Ever heard of who started that? You know, the Red Cross, any, I could just go on and on. All because all of these were blessed very much biblically, but not necessarily humanistically. <clears throat> now, why is this important? Why do we have to get this as we launch deeper and deeper into this wonderful gospel of Luke? I'll say this twice. This is of vital importance because our perspective determines not only the voice we hear, whether it's God or man's, but also the vision we see and eventually follow. I'll say it again. This is vitally important because of our perspective determines not only the voice we hear, but also the vision we see and follow. You might think you're following God's vision. You might think you're hearing God's voice. But if you have blessing wrong and you're shooting for the wrong kind, it may not be God you're hearing. So number two, I told you I'd give you all three. Number two, blessed are those who suffer for his name's sake. This is by far the most difficult for many of us to understand. However, taking the biblical sense of the word, I'm going to show us that God does intend to link suffering with happiness and blessing. In fact, you can't tear them apart. Everyone I know wants to be blessed. I have never met a single person who came up to me and said, you need to stop saying that, Pastor Rob, because I ask every day that God would curse me. I want to be cursed. Now, I've never met that person. In fact, we say to people, hey, have a blessed day. If I were to sneeze right now, what would you say? God bless you. I mean, it's a good, we want for others, we want it for ourselves, it's a great thing, but I wonder how many of us would wish for it if we understood it biblically. Would we kind of back off and go, a little less blessing of that kind, God? Or would we still want it? Prosperity teachers tell us that being blessed equals health, wealth, and happiness. A BMW in the garage, a great job, a vacation home, popularity, and of course, lots and lots of money. That's what they tell us. Let me give you a different teacher. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, the mournful, the meek, those who desire righteousness, the insulted, the falsely accused. All of these are Jesus' connectors to a highly favored and blessed life. Wow. And here's the killer. James 1, 2 through 3. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How many of you go, hot diggity, a trial? There it is. Some of you are like, I don't ever say hot diggity no matter what. Because that's like from, I don't know when. I don't know where that came from. But not many of us go, I can't wait. God, I have to remind you, I haven't had a trial for a while. Could you bring another one? But James says, count it all joy. Get excited because whenever you face trials, you know that the testing of your faith is taking place and that will produce perseverance. You'll last, built to last. Jesus also says it's more blessed to give than receive. How many of us really feel that way? Most of us, I dare say, would most often equate blessings not with giving but with getting, right? Hey, that person's really blessed. Look at that he got. Do you see that new car? Man, they're blessed, right? With receiving, either from someone else or directly from God. We think that's blessing. We have it totally reversed. What all seems to come down to, please get this, is it God's blessing or man's blessing? Take a look. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. So he presents his case to us. We all go to listen, and believe it or not, even I get to hear everything. I'm expecting a Messiah, and of course, I know better than anybody what that means. Everyone keeps talking about the Messiah, and frankly, I don't even pretend to know what that means. I'm looking for someone really impressive, and honestly, I thought there would be more to him at first sight. He was someone just like you and me, but he came across as so much more than that. So as he begins, rather than give a rousing speech to get us all inspired and ready for anything, he instead launches into a series of platitudes. And everything he says cuts right to me. He says, the poor in spirit will inherit a kingdom. I don't understand, but it sounds exciting. I certainly feel poor enough in my spirit. I don't even know what he's talking about. Uh, how are the poor going to help us unless they rise up and join the fight? He says those who mourn are blessed and will be comforted. Well, yeah, I hope so. But aren't we all mourning the way things are now? And isn't it time for a change? Oh, man. How I long for comfort. I'm tired of mourning over my life. And I hope what he says is true. And blessed are the meek. Not to be too bold about it, but I think I certainly am a meek person. And he says, I have an inheritance? Wow. Then, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy? That just isn't the real world. Will our enemy show mercy to us? No. And how weak will we be if we show mercy to them? I long for mercy myself. He says, if I want it, I should show it to others. That's a pretty radical thought. Now, yes, there is a time and purpose for everything under heaven. Right now is the time to fight. We can't go on this way, and peacemaking isn't going to work these days. We need a better Messiah than that. Again, he speaks of this kingdom of heaven. I want to know more. That sounds so much more impressive and permanent than the governments that rule over us. And so he goes on and on, pandering to those pathetic people and outcasts, people who clearly do not have their life together. I kept listening. Everything struck right to my heart. What promises? I was hoping to find a great leader in him, and someone who could solve our problems and make things right. 
the way we all know they should be. I didn't understand it all, but the peace and gentleness and spirit and what he spoke of, it made me feel as if I could finally find in him what it is I really need. I'm going to have to learn more. This is not what I'm looking for. This could be what I've been looking for. I can tell you what the Lord wants us to do this morning. He wants us to take our idea of highly favored and what it means to be blessed and turn it completely upside down so that we can really understand true blessing. You want that abundant life? That's the only way to do it. So here's the last thing. Blessed are those best positioned to receive the blessing. <coughs> in other words, those at the end of the line instead of those in the front. I'll give you one example. When Samuel was told that God rejected the king the people chose, be he was handsome, he was tall, he was a great hunter, he was everything they wanted, Saul, and God chose a different king, he said, go to the family of Jesse and anoint You'll find the king to anoint there. So what happened there? He went and Jesse started bringing out his sons. Basically lined them up, right? And he brought the oldest out first and the biggest stud first and said, it's probably this guy you're looking for. No? Oh, well, then probably the next son. And he went all the way through him until he got to the end and he forgot he had another kid. Is that it? I'm pretty sure that's it. You don't have another son? No? Yes, I do. Wait. It, there's, you can't be serious though he's just a punk kid he's out there watching sheep nobody takes him serious that's why I sent him out there it smells like sheep and he came in and God anointed him at the end of the line to be the greatest smallest the runt of the litter it happens a lot he who desires to be first shall be last he who is last will be first Jesus said B those who serve Jesus who serve like Jesus he's the son of God and what did he do the night before, the night in which he was betrayed, the night before he was crucified? He said, I've got just a little time left. Here's the most powerful lesson I can leave with you. I'm God. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to take the lowest job. You've got to get this. People won't take you serious unless you serve. So those who serve will be highly blessed and favored. They'll be positioned to receive a blessing. And finally, those who are humble. We talked a lot about John the Baptist in the last several weeks, but you know what John the Baptist says that shows his humility? John the Baptist was not a rock star. I can never see John the Baptist going, all right, thanks for coming today, man, a great crowd, awesome. Listen, next week I'm going to introduce Jesus, and he's pretty good, not as good as me, but he's pretty good, and when he comes, why don't you give him a rousing hand that together we're going to conquer the world. And, but it kind of sounds like what we hear today, doesn't it? Instead he said, one is coming whose sandals I'm not even worthy to, to unlatch. I'm not, I can't even touch his feet. I'm not worthy. That's humility. And that's probably why Jesus said, no one has been born up until this point of woman that is greater than him. Do you see it? Because of his humility. You want to be blessed? You want to be highly favored? Those three things are how it's going to happen. And there's no end around. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I love this passage. Lord, I've loved so much this week seeing the Christmas story unfolded the right way, Lord. Just, God, so upside down what we've done, even how we decorate and we almost try to make excuses around Christmas time about the way you came and try to 
try to paint it up and glamorize it and say, well, maybe God made a mistake and he'd do it different. And Lord, we don't understand blessing, but perhaps today, even if just a handful walk out of here truly understanding it, they'll know the abundant life you came to bring, that you said you came to bring in John 10.10. Transform us, Lord. Get us ready for the movement you're starting here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. See you next week.